0: We're going to read about Jesus and the man born blind from John, chapter 9, verses 1 to
1: 16. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought him to the Pharisees that man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Thanks be to God for his word.
0: Well, let's think on this passage together then uh, for a few moments. I won't believe in God unless he were to appear right here in front of me, if he did that, then I'd believe. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Or, or something like that anyway? I know, I know I have. Similar sorts of things to that. And there's a saying, isn't there? Uh, that seeing is believing, and that until you can see something, uh, you don't believe it's the case. We use it a lot about a lot of things we're not quite sure about, We'd be able to say though if we could see them in front of us, well, I've seen it with my own eyes. Loch Ness Monster, does Nessie live? Some have said they've seen it. Well, anyway, it was the argument, after all, that um, people made about Jesus to a degree, wasn't it? Thomas, famously said it about Jesus' resurrection. He He said to the disciples, I won't believe unless I can touch the nail scars on his hands and put my hand into the spear wound in his side. I mean, I'm not quite sure why you'd want to do that anyway, but we get the point. You hear of something remarkable happening, miraculous even. And we can understand someone saying, well, when I've seen it, then I'll believe it. Now, I've been making this point all the way through along this series about Jesus and the encounters people had with him. How hard it is... We, but we need to be able to step back out of our 21st century eyes and go back to the first century with these encounters, to the real places, people, and situation of the day. Because they really do help us when we think through this whole thing of seeing is believing. Here's a bit of history from this week's encounter. Uh, we don't know where Jesus spoke with this man who had been born blind. Uh, We do know that he is back in Jerusalem once again. Uh, So we're back down south from Samaria, if there's a map that goes on the the screen there. Hopefully, there it is, there we go, back down south in Jerusalem. Uh, They were in Samaria last week between Jerusalem and Galilee. The location, of course, that we can pinpoint in this encounter is a place called the Pool of Siloam, where the man was sent to wash. Um, If you put a map of Jerusalem on the screen itself, um, you may recognise some of the places. Just to get your bearings on this one, you've got the Temple Mount towards the bottom of the screen. There, you've got the Mount of Olives further on down, opposite the Kidron, uh, across the Kidron Valley. The round circle, the red one, is where the Pool of Siloam was uh, in Jerusalem, where the man was sent to wash. And if you go onto the Next slide as well. You can have a look at the waterways of Jerusalem. It's all the facts this morning, right? Um, But the waterways of Jerusalem. The Pool of Siloam actually came about because back in the Old Testament times, a king, Hezekiah, um, a famous king of the Old Testament, decided it was better to um, have a way in which the city could be provided for with water in case... Um, it was ever besieged. And so he dug a tunnel underground from uh, a little spring outside of the city walls, right the way under the city walls. You can even walk it today, I know, because I've done it. Uh, The pictures might have shown some of that. Um, But you can walk through this tunnel out into what is now the Pool of Siloam, because they found it. And here's the way that archaeology works in the Holy Land. They're finding things all of the time, that back up what the Bible says. In fact, the Pool of Siloam was only discovered in 2005. It was only after they were, uh, archaeologists were digging in a place where they thought they would find some sewers. That's what they would, thought they were going to find. They found this pool where this man was sent, where Jesus sent this man to wash so that he could receive his site once more, and you can walk along it. That, that, that one on the screen there, that's not my picture. I think my picture was the one before that that I took at the time when I was in there. Uh, 2008, so just three years after the discovery, they've made it look a lot nicer now. That's the one I took, uh, but they made it look a lot nicer now. The second one was uh, of closer to uh, today, I think just a few years back, where they built a nice roof over the area to, to make it more appealing. But the pool of Siloam, they found it, it exists. And it's one of these places that, you know, when you look about archaeology, archaeology is there and it backs up what the Bible has said. The more they find along the way, the more they can continue to see that what was historical and, and what the Bible says, the two match up. Occasionally, even they find that the people were real themselves and they find evidence for it. Now, this encounter ourselves it's in the midst of this location or somewhere near it that we have this fourth encounter with Jesus. The man who had been born blind is healed. Now remember that the verse I've been using throughout this series remains true. I keep highlighting it from the Apostle Paul's writings, He wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All of these encounters that we're looking at, the miracles, healings, uh, conversations, they're all designed to show us, even 20 centuries later on, um, that ancient, stunning truth that what Jesus was doing was a new thing. Changing everything that had gone before into a new way in God's salvation plan for humanity. He was doing a new thing. The old had gone, the new had arrived, and his name is Jesus. And this encounter is no exception to that. This morning we look at four questions that come out of our passage. The first from what we read in verse one, which starts off the encounter and the incredible events that follow, that Jesus as he went along, he saw a man, born, a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him this question, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Sounds terrible, doesn't it? Sounds an awful question to ask here's a poor blind man, a beggar, and the disciples want to use him as a theological test case with Jesus. Why was this man born blind? Was it his or his parents' sin that caused it? Essentially, whose fault is it? Now, now, in, in their defense, this was the common thinking at the time of Jesus. You know, science had not progressed far enough for treatments or procedures for such things as blindness. And, and if you couldn't work, you had to beg. That was the situation. This would not have been an uncommon sight in Jerusalem or the surrounding area. And equally, the question is not as harsh as it might sound, because this was commonplace. It was the common understanding of the day. You know, as we saw in the book of Job just a few weeks ago when we were going through it, um, The Jewish mind felt that personal suffering was a result of personal sin. If you were ill, particularly with any long-standing ailment or problem, it was because there was sin involved in some particular way. That's what Job's friends kept saying to him, wasn't it? (laughs) Time and time and time again, it's because you've sinned that this is happening to you. That you're unwell, that all these bad things have happened. In a highly religious environment, that kind of idea was all around. And, you know, as I was saying in the book of Job series, before we write that kind of thinking off as an ancient myth, we get the same kind of thinking today. We do find it in some Christian circles, and I keep banging the drum on this one. The idea that true faith, okay, that's not bunny ears, by the way, that's quotation marks, but, you know, true faith will give you health, or will give you wealth, or will give you prosperity, or that when you have true faith, it will somehow give you a magical aura from all illness and harm. It's not correct. It's, It's utter rubbish. You know, go back and watch the Job series if you wish. Job was a righteous man, blameless before God, full of faith. He lost his family, his livelihood, and his health in the space of a few days. His friends say he sinned. He says he hasn't. God, at the end of the book, vindicates Job. He's a righteous man who almost lost everything. Uh, The Apostle Paul, thorn in the flesh that he had, full of faith. He's the Apostle Paul. Healed people. Raised someone from the dead even, full of faith. Yet God did not take away this ailment that he had, something it was to do with his sight, in fact, that he wasn't healed from. Faith is not some magical ticket to get stuff from God or to keep us from harm. You'd have to explain Christians getting all kinds of illnesses, for starter. Um, you'd have to explain faithful Christians dying, even. You know, you would, but they, they had faith. How could God let them pass away? You'd have to explain why the faith of Christians in places like Afghanistan, North Korea, doesn't save them from death or prevent them from harm. We've got to be really careful when we talk about these things. It's not the only way we have to look at it. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus says. The disciples assume the common mindset. The man's been blind from birth. Either he or his parents must have sinned. Jesus turns around and says exactly the opposite. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happens so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world." What's he saying? Well, Jesus is saying, as in the book of Job, even suffering has got a purpose. There's a reason for it. It doesn't necessarily mean someone's sin has caused it. In fact, as stunned as the disciples are to discover this, God's purposes they always, don't they? They go beyond human reason. They go beyond our understanding of what we see in front of us. Certainly any illness, sickness, or infirmity. They might just be to display the works of God, the glory of God in this world. Now, Jesus is about to do a new thing. An incredible thing is about to happen. Incredibly, this man is going to be healed right before their eyes. They're going to see it happen before them. He's shining a light into a dark world. It's why he says that while he's still with them, while it is still day, he must do those works. Because night is coming. The cross is round the corner. Evil is going to try and have its day. It's not going to work fully and finally, but it'll try. He's showing a new way. He's showing light in this world. It's almost like he's bringing in an enormous floodlight on a football pitch, lighting things up where once they were dark before. And so he comes to this man born blind. He says to them, God's purpose is in the circumstance, that the works of God might be displayed in him do you know it's amazing when god does works in our lives <laughs> whether that be healing whether that be simply encouraging us whether it be the very fact that this man who is saying these things came to be the savior of the world god in human flesh to die on a cross so that we can be forgiven. The works of God on display so that the world can see and believe. So that we, 2,000 years later on, can look forward with hope to whatever this week is going to hold, whatever the coming weeks need to hold. We show this number two. What did Jesus do? What did he do? Well, it's fairly straightforward, isn't it? From that point, um, he 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 does this strange thing, and people ask the question why he he spits on the ground. He mixes the mud with the saliva. He puts it on the man's eyes. It seems a bit strange, but that will become more relevant a bit later. There's also something this man has got to do. He's got this step of obedience that he's supposed to take. His his grain of faith has to be there, that this is at least possible. And the the whole point of this is to draw him to Jesus himself. By the end of the passage, he's a believer, but he needs to obey. Probably why Jesus sends him where he does, in fact. Verse 7, he says, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. Because the Paul's name is sent, he's sent by Jesus to do something, hence the relevant name. When Jesus sends us, we must go. That's the message behind it. When Jesus asks something of us, we must obey. And who knows where that obedience might lead? The end result is up to God, isn't it, in the end of the day? For this man, it was to healing. The man went and washed and came home seeing. And I think we would all come away from that and say, praise God. Praise God for his good works. Now, it's important to talk just briefly about healing because you get that question of what happens if you're not healed though. Well, what happens if healing doesn't take place? Because we know that's also true. That happens, doesn't it? That's reality. Healing doesn't always take place. Um, and we ask sorts, all sorts of questions. Why doesn't God heal everybody? Uh, you know, a, a loved one, a friend. Why, why, why do bad things seemingly happen? Why do bad things happen to Christians? Uh, and those questions are so hard to answer because there are no straightforward answers. But what you can say is pretty much exactly what Jesus said in the passage, that God in the end will always get his glory, one way or the other. Sometimes, do you know, when I've seen Christians who have been um, praying for healing for somebody and it's not happened, for whatever reason God has in mind, do you know, sometimes it is even more inspiring that they are persevering and carrying on with God, even through that terrible circumstance, whatever it may be, and that God is getting his glory through that perseverance. Because sometimes that's also the way he works. He gets his glory because we persevere. I was just watching um, a, a video the other day of a, of a, of a guy um, who you can you can look him up on, on, on YouTube. A guy called Nick Voyagech, who was um, he, he was a guy who was born without arms or legs, um, and, and and during his early life really struggled with this. Really, really struggled with the fact, you know, well, wh- why has this happened? What, what, what is God doing? He was a, a believer in it and he came to faith, but, but really, really struggled with the question. Y- y- years later on, um, he now has set up uh, his own evangelistic ministry, is telling people about Jesus and saying, Your life has purpose, and every life has purpose. Um, He he, he even went on the Oprah Winfrey show of all places, right? (laughs) And we know what that can be like. But the Oprah Winfrey show, and spoke about Jesus being his Savior and Lord, the one who gave him a purpose for his life, and he truly, truly believed it. Because, you know, that's the witness that can sometimes come about, even through the tough times we can say, Jesus is Lord. He has a plan and a purpose for every one of us, and we can trust him with that. But the encounter doesn't end with the healing, does it? These neighbors and those who had seen the man begging begin questioning, is this really the guy? (laughs) Is this really the guy who is begging? Is Is this him? Um, The man has to insist that he is the person. It's a really strange conversation they have to have. They ask the question all of us would ask him, how can you see? How can you see? Uh, He says in verse 11, the man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. All he says to them is exactly what has happened. That's his testimony doesn't try to, um, you know, uh, drum it up any more than it needs to be. He just says it like it is. This is what happened to me. This is what Jesus did for me. They ask where Jesus is. Where is this man then? Where is he? Can we talk to him? He says he doesn't know. And it's then that our good old friends, the Pharisees, get involved with things because they always like to a situation don't they uh, the Pharisees are skeptical as ever they present some problems and for the sake of time I'm just going to summarize what they say uh, I got John to read a little bit into it for into the discussion but it was only to indicate what really was to come the Pharisees are skeptical as they always are it just goes to prove, you know, don't leave your life being thoroughly skeptical of everything. If you're skeptical about everything, we may just miss what God is really trying to say to us. That is exactly what happens with them because of their blinkered religious mindset. They interview the man. Um, they interview his parents to corroborate the story. Then the man again because they're, they're looking for some evidence that Jesus is a fraud. Why? Because they've got this religious system, this religious blinkering upon their lives that meant that there was no possible way. How could God be involved in this when Jesus had healed on the Sabbath? I mean, it's crazy when you think about what they're saying, okay? I mean, they're they're basically saying, you can't possibly heal somebody on the Sabbath. On God's day, Of all days, no, you can't heal somebody on that day. It's a day of rest. You can't do any work. Don't do good things for people? He's got to be a sinner, surely. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? But this is what the Pharisees say. A group of religious elites who are telling the people that this is the way that it should be. I mean, uh, take, it, take it another point of what they thought, right? They even legislated, the Pharisees, the amount of steps that you could walk on a Sabbath day. They told you how much that could be. Some estimate it was somewhere between two and 3,000 steps a day you could take on the Sabbath, and that was it. If you've walked here this morning, watch it, okay? Okay. Um, Two to three thousand steps a day, that was all you could do, so they would say. How ridiculous their religiosity is, and yet this is what they put as the reason to not believe. Just a note on Sabbath for Christians, by the way, because it is one of those areas that, that's quite interesting, isn't it? Um, We shouldn't get so hung up about the Sabbath to make it a restrictive burden on our lives as the Pharisees did. It's not for religiosity. That's not the point of the Sabbath. But at the same time, it's not downplaying its importance to the degree that it just becomes a day like any other. It's supposed to have a place in our lives. Uh, Jesus himself said, God made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's right to give the time or some time to doing things differently by God. It's why we gather. It's why we have this opportunity to to worship together, a together-focused time on our Lord and Savior in our week, one day out of seven, and that should take a priority. But it's not meant to be filled with lots of different rules and regulations and legalism, as the Pharisees have made it. I mean, the bit about mud... Here's the reason why Jesus spat on the ground, I think, and then mixed it with mud. Do you know he's actually breaking a Sabbath law doing that? <laughs> the Pharisees said, "You can't mix or knead anything on the Sabbath, be it food or otherwise." That's what they said. So even Jesus spitting on the ground and mixing it together—that was breaking a Sabbath rule. <laughs> in their eyes probably why he did it in fact because jesus is not all meek and mild is he jesus is highly provocative our world looks at jesus and think oh well he was just all love and acceptance and that was all and he was just meek and mild but actually he's highly provocative in much of what he does it was the reason why he ended up on the cross because the religious leaders didn't like what he was doing. They were threatened by him that he was affecting their ways. He continuously poked their religiosity ways with a stick and of course the stick ended up poking what was a hornet's nest. Despised my men he would die for that very reason. But the reason, because he, quotes unquote works on the Sabbath, he must be a sinner. How can a sinner heal? And the discussion continues. They bring the man's parents in. They confirm he is their son, and they don't know how he was healed, except that he was born blind, and now he can see. This is no fake news. The Pharisees haul the man himself back in. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they say to him. That's the way you should give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner, they tell him. And so the man tells the truth. He tells them just how it is. He says, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't actually know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I can see. I will simply tell you the truth, says the man. A few minutes ago, I couldn't see anything. (laughs) Now I can see people. And trees, and buildings, and color. Things that I never saw before. And it was because this man, Jesus, put mud on my eyes, told me to wash, and I was healed. (laughs) It's an amazing encounter with Jesus. The Pharisees just can't accept it, though. They can't accept it. It just doesn't work that way, they think. They, they get it, the argument gets more and more heated between the two. And at a point where he gets a bit more fed up with the Pharisees, um, with the constant repetitive questioning, trying to catch him out, he says to them, do you want to hear it again, my story? do you want to become his disciples too? Is that why you want to hear these things, he says to them? He gets a bit sarcastic with them. (laughs) They get really angry with him because they can't see past their religious framework and man-made rules. They say they're disciples of Moses. That means they're elite. They're top, top dollar, right? The highest of accolades. They know what's what. They don't want to be disciples of this imposter. So they think. And the man says to them, you notice how his faith grows as he goes on through this situation with them. He says to them, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. No one has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing to which they throw him out telling him he was steeped at sin at birth (laughs) and say he must be completely and utterly wrong which leads us to our final heading and the point of the encounter itself and let me just read how the encounter finishes okay because he doesn't just have one encounter with jesus he has two From verse 35, you read, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Didn't Jesus say something like that to the Samaritan lady last week? I that am speaking to you am he, he said to her. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see... Your guilt remains. What are we supposed to see? Why this encounter? Well, first of all, we get back to that truth throughout these encounters that the man discovers who Jesus really is. He discovers that this man who had a conversation with him, whom he didn't know from Adam, was the savior of the world the messiah they were all waiting for it's funny that all of these encounters in some way lead people to to faith in the miracle maker in some form or another it's exactly what john has said his gospel is designed to do it's meant to stir people's faith to show us the truth of jesus Uh, But second, a much bigger point, not about physical blindness and seeing, but the use of that sign to make a spiritual point about seeing as well. Uh, Let me make this point by way of an illustration. Uh, There there was a lady a number of years back in the the 1970s. uh, Her name was uh, Rose Crawford, who in, in 1972 underwent corrective surgery on her eyes Uh, for the first time in 50 years she was able to see Um, she had got um, measles at the age of four and it it caused her to become blind Uh, when when she'd had the surgery she could see after 20 uh, her husband of 23 years for the first time so and she said about him she she knew he was tall but he looked like a giant that's what he, what she said. I mean, hello, hello, darling. I see you for the first time. You're a giant, um, but she could see him for the first time. She she got to see a baby for the first time in the hospital. She she looked at a vase of flowers and could identify their colours, the colours of the petals on her own. And her words were, "Boy, what I've missed." She was blind but now she could see. Now we know the story is about a man physically blind, who in a few short hours, not only only could he see, but he could see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords clearly. From sitting begging, with people questioning about his sinfulness, to seeing the Messiah and being able to say, Lord, I believe, and falling down and worshipping him. Do you know, the prophet Isaiah, hundreds of years before, in in Old Testament times, would write that one day, one day there was a day that's coming, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness the blind will see once more The humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Isaiah 35, 5, that God would come to save his people. And then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. People will see and hear The Messiah, he's coming. They will see, quotes on quotes, for the first time. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light, that wonderful Christmas passage that we get to share in. Those living in the land of deep darkness, a light will dawn. But what it also means is that he will judge those who don't have eyes to see and don't want ears to be able to hear, the blind will see, but those who claim such superiority as already having sight, like the Pharisees, they will be found to be blind. And if the religious leaders of the nation are blind, even Jesus himself would say, if the blind lead the blind, so both will fall into a pit. Do you know it's incredible that Jesus gives us the ability to see, to see who he is clearly, to see his miracles and to believe, to get to trust in him as our Saviour and Lord. It's amazing that Jesus gives us eyes to see. But there are many who claim to have sight and yet are blind. Whether it's by false religion, bad theology, new morality, so they call it. Those who seek to tear down everything that has gone before in favor of something new of their own ideas and making. Those who find salvation in uh, celebrity, fame or fortune. Who live as if this world with its fascination with Money, sex, and power is all there is, and yet it leaves people feeling so empty. It's a blind world that needs to see the truth of the gospel of God, lest it be judged just as Jesus says it will be, because it need not be so. The story of Rose Crawford didn't actually end there. Because having had this surgery and being able to see, the truth was that in fact she could have had 20 years less blindness because the surgery had been available for over 20 years. She just didn't know it. She lived 20 years in unnecessary darkness. In fact, the attending doctor said of her, she just figured there was nothing that could be done about her condition. Much of her life could have been different. And and that's the way we look at Jesus. You know, Jesus says to a world, life can be different. Life can be changed. Life can be lived in hope for the future, not in sadness or worry or or among the difficulties of life that we all experience. There is hope. One day he's coming back. One day he will make all things right. One day he will take our, our bodies, whatever condition they are in, whatever ailments we might have, and he will transform them to be given new bodies in a new creation, new heavens, new earth. One day we will be made perfect in a way that we can't even comprehend in the here and now. We will all be transformed in the twinkling of an eye because of what Jesus has done for us. This same Jesus calls us to see. to see him afresh, to fall down and say, Lord, I believe, and to live our lives for him because we know that he is worth worshipping and giving everything that we've got. So whatever your weeks may hold, and however you might feel, whether this might seem like it's going to be a good week ahead, whether it's going to be difficult. Trust in this Jesus. Trust that if he's brought you to something, he'll get you through it. Trust that in the craziness of our world at this moment, he's got it in his hands and he'll bring us through. Trust that, you know, even should the worst of things happen, even those over in Afghanistan, believers who were worrying for their lives, even if they lost them, they would be in paradise. Trust this Jesus with everything you have and let him open your eyes to see him afresh. Let's pray and ask him to do that now. Glorious God, we give you thanks and praise you. Uh, We thank you that even in a world which seems so dark, we have Jesus, the light of the world, the one who shone and shines light into dark places, who shone and shines light into the darkness of our own lives who shone and shines light into our very souls so that we might see you afresh. Uh, We thank you, Lord God, that you are the great God of salvation, that this Jesus who walked the earth, he was the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who would give himself on the cross for us, so that whatever we might be experiencing in the here and now, Whatever worries we might be facing this coming week, whatever health issues, circumstances, family troubles, whatever it might be as we go into the next days ahead, we thank you that Jesus, you are our Savior and Lord, you have given us eyes to see, and may we therefore see you in every one of those circumstances. Those situations that break our hearts. Those times where we wonder what on earth is going on. Those family members we worry about. Lord God, would you bind up our hearts and help us to fix our eyes on Jesus that great god the one who gave himself for us so that our future is secure so that we can live with hope so that you would grant us wisdom for life so that we can live for you for all of eternity by your spirit lord would you do a work in our lives would you encourage us transform us where we've been blind before Lord may you give us eyes to see may you illuminate your words may you encourage us to pray father God we thank you for Jesus in this place help us to live our lives in the light of his great light that shines upon us. And in his name we pray. Amen.